So we've got to do a warm-up question. Uh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, you're going to have to think about this one. Would you rather have something or would you rather have enough? I'm going to give you a moment to think about this. Would you rather have something? Anyone? Would you rather have enough? Oh, seriously, two people voted. I just prayed for faith, and I get two responses to my warm-up question. Something? Enough? Am I going to have to just shake the tree a lot harder? How many of you feel like you have enough in life? How many of you feel like, well, I've got something? All right. How many of you feel like, I got nothing? I got, I got nothings? Yeah. The, the questions seem sort of silly and perverse, but I think questions like that go through our heads all the time uh, in, in life, uh, particularly when we're confronted with potentially overwhelming situations like, oh, I don't know, global virus pandemic, or, um, you know, just constant money worries, or, you know, the zillion relational and social challenges that could come up in life. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, and sometimes we get confronted by by uh, other people's situations that seem overwhelming. We are caring people. We are Christians. We're loving, and we'd like to be able, we'd like to have the solution. We'd like to have love and care for all manner of people in all manner of situations, but it's easy to feel overwhelmed sometimes. Uh, it's, it's hard to know what to do in overwhelming situations, and that's the time when we ask ourselves, well, do I have enough to get into this? You know, do I, do, I, do I have an abundance? You know, can I provide for these people when I'm challenged to merely provide for myself? And, and we say things. We have these catchphrases. I have them. Maybe you have them too. I just can't do that right now. How many times a year do you say that? I, I, I just can't do that right now. Well, it, it's just too much. That, that's going to require a little too much for me right now. Right now. You know. Anybody? I need a clap. Right, okay. I'm starting to feel insecure up here. Anybody got one of those situations right now where you feel like you're facing an, something overwhelming or maybe some things overwhelming and you're like, I, I just can't do that. Right now. We say right now so we feel better. I, I just can't do that. Anybody? You got one of those situations? An overwhelming situation? And the fear is, well, if I get into it, I'll just be torn apart. I don't feel like I have enough right now. If I get into that, you know, I won't survive. Uh, I'm too tired right now. If I get into that, man, I'll never get a break. I'll never get a break. I could get used up. And, and you know, and I'm, I might make little difference in the end. It might make no difference anyway, you know. So why would I get involved in that? It's not like I have the solution to, to these things or to that person's situation. I don't even have the solution to all of my situations. Of course, very often in life, we're not called to have the solution. We're just called to have part of the solution. We're just called to help. But, but nonetheless, um, you know, navigating overwhelming situations can be really challenging. And people who want to be sure everything is going to work out smoothly before they jump into something, well, those people tend not to produce very much in the way of kingdom fruitfulness. But it's hard to know. It's hard to know how to navigate overwhelming situations. And given the choice, we will often opt out. Sometimes overwhelming situations hit us and we have no choice about it, right? We're just like, ah, now we're in the midst of it. Um, I wish someone would wade in and help me. Um, but given the choice, 
you know, we will often opt out or build up bulwarks of safety if we can. Because, um, you know, it's not like every battle is our battle, right? In life. We've got to have boundaries, you know? Snaps for boundaries. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's pretty much true. Not every battle is your battle in life. Not every battle around you is something that God is specifically going to call you to. True enough. But if it is your battle, then be assured you do have enough. You do have enough. Because, and we say this often, in the kingdom of God, whatever you have is enough. That's how it works out. That is a powerful and potent kingdom principle. Uh, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God here. You've heard about the kingdom of God? Yep. It was kind of Jesus' main thesis statement. He showed up and the first thing he started preaching is, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is, is at hand. And that word that he used for kingdom uh, means like dominion or space of control. The dominion of God is now with us. And then he went about demonstrating exactly what the dominion of God looked like in places where it took hold. Um, in, in the book of Matthew, which is the book that we're going through right now in this particular sermon series, it's called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's how uh, it's described, how Jesus describes it in the accounts in Matthew. Well, in heaven, are there sick people? There are no sick people in heaven. So when you manifest the order of heaven on earth, you get to cure people supernaturally. That's really cool. Uh, do demons oppress people in heaven? No. So when you move in the kingdom of heaven on earth, the dominion of heaven on earth, you cast demons out of people. You kind of restore them. You free them spiritually. In heaven, is anyone ignorant of the love of God? No. So when you move in the order of heaven on earth, you bring people into an experience of the love of God. You sort of eradicate their ignorance of the true nature and character of the Lord. Sometimes we call that, I don't know, like evangelism or something like that. But you bring people into experiential faith. In the kingdom of God, is the, in the kingdom of heaven, is there anyone who doesn't have enough? No, that would be absurd to think in heaven that people are lacking anything. So those of us who move in the order of heaven on earth always have enough, somehow, even if we have to have enough supernaturally. And there are some very famous stories in the Gospels about particularly this aspect of the order of heaven. And the most famous one is what? The feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the loaves and fishes, uh, which happens to be the story that our uh, sermon series in Matthew has taken us to today. You know the essence of the story, right? Uh, there are crowds of people following Jesus. It comes to end of day. The crowds are hungry. And Jesus is like, well, we're going to feed them, guys. We're going to feed all of these thousands of people. And the best the disciples can come up with is like one little brown lunch, one little mixed plate. It has five loaves of, you know, unleavened bread, probably travel bread, and some fish, a couple of fishes. And Jesus says, great, that's going to be enough. And then with that one little lunch, he ends up feeding thousands of people. So even if a miracle has to happen, what you have is always enough if heaven is in charge. That's the kingdom principle. Uh, and, and somehow that is a, a principle that we need to figure out how to live by. Um, so I, I don't know. I've, have you heard that story before? 
Is there anybody who hadn't heard that story before? Uh, it's a pretty familiar story. I have had occasion to meditate it, meditate on it often in my life, uh, and to teach on it often. So here, here's, here's a catchphrase that I want to be rattling around in your head today. Every miracle needs a method. Every miracle needs a method. Say it with me. Every miracle needs a method. Turn to someone and say, hey, every miracle needs a method. It's trying to wake you up. Great. Have we had enough social awkwardness in the service today? Or do we need a little bit more? Is that enough now? I'll keep going. So let's read the story. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 14. We did 13 last week. Uh, Matthew 14, uh, verses 13 through 21. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, this is one of those stories that appears in all the gospel. And there are multiple accounts of this story. This is not my favorite account of the story. Um, it's the Matthew account. All of them are a little different. And in their difference, I think they emphasize and teach us different things. Uh, but we'll try more or less to stay true to this account as it unfolds. <clears throat> At the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, gets killed. He gets uh, beheaded in a very deceitful scheme. Uh, Herod ends up beheading him. And Jesus has just found out that his cousin has been murdered. That's how the story opens. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So what's going on here? A man I loved just got killed by a devious murderer. I need a break. I need a break. I'm being followed by these crowds right now. Ministry is going pretty well, but I got to get a little, a little peace. So he gets on a boat in private with just his closest guys, and he goes to a solitary place. So he gets on a boat, puts his closest team together. They head over to Molokai and just want to camp out on, on the west coast over there. That's the deal. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd that had gotten there ahead of him, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So this crowd was following him, not because they just thought he was a rock star, but because they were sick, they were needy, they were oppressed, right? And so they help us, help us. And you can imagine the emotional state that Jesus would have been in. Help you, sick people. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to save my own broken heart right now, you know. But, but he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And so he starts healing their sick. He starts caring for them. starts doing some miracles. As evening approached, we did this a long time, all the way till nightfall, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, which was the idea. <clears throat> and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, that's rude. Uh, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. 
we find out in other versions of the story that they actually stole that lunch from a little boy that was present. They probably didn't steal it. It was probably a friend of one of the disciples, but they took a little kid's lunch. <laughs> this is the best we got. Uh, we have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Well, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Uh, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many disciples were there? How many baskets did they pick up? So they all get this, they get the, the big mixed plate, you know. They, everybody has a huge meal now. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So thousands and thousands of people ate from this little kid's lunch. Um, it, was, uh, it was a heck of a miracle. Um, so it opens with Jesus brokenhearted and exhausted. That was his broken heart. But he also has the good part of his heart. And on this day, he chooses to follow his good heart. And he has compassion on them. And so he just can't let them suffer, so he gets to work. He's empty, but his love challenges him to live as though he is full. Basic Christianity right there, baby. And Jesus models it for us on this day. I think, you know, when, when it comes, like when night starts to come, and the disciples say, hey, hey, Jesus, time to send them away now, or they're going to get really hungry pretty soon. We better release them so that they can go into the villages. They're all looking to you for leadership. Why don't you make the announcement? And what's the perfectly rational thing for them to say? Plus, they may well have been concerned about their Jesus who, you know, just lost someone very important to him. Indeed, some of the disciples that were following Jesus had formerly been followers of John the Baptist. This was a hard day for these guys, you know? So it may well have been a very caring thing for them to say, Jesus, make the announcement. Time for them to go uh, away. But I, I think Jesus had a moment at that point in the story because it certainly would not have been evil to send them away, right? It's all right, guys, go get some food. Well, well, you all can come back tomorrow or something like that. That would have been perfectly fine. But I think, he has a, I think he has a moment. I think there was a significant day for him. I think even Jesus realizes that his experience is pretty powerful. He said, man, I've never been more brokenhearted than this. And yet, you know, through the strengths of the Spirit in me, I was able to serve all of these people. It seems like something important is in that seems like there's a principle and there's a power at play here and I want to share it with my guys. I want to make sure that they don't miss the beautiful thing that is happening. I think maybe in Jesus' head he was like, you know, I felt terrible five hours ago. But I have loved and I have served and I feel a bit stronger now than I did at the beginning. I can't put words in Jesus' mouth, but I think maybe something like that was going on. And he's like, I would like, to, I would like to share that wisdom with my guys. And when they say, all right, time to wrap up, you know, we certainly can't feed them all. And Jesus is like, actually, I think we can. Actually, I think even when you feel totally empty, something amazing can happen. 
And so he's like, I tell you what, feed them. You give them something to eat. You know, cue theme music, you know, ray from heaven. Ah, he's like, wow, you know, that's because that's the moment right there. That's the moment. And they're like, uh, you know, what? You know, what, what, what the hell? What the heck? I, I, I think he sees an opportunity to pass on the very lesson, right? And the, and the lesson being, you have enough, right? You have enough. But there's a process to it. And the first process is recognizing that you have something, right? Well, what do you, what do you have? Well, we got one lunch. We have one lunch. We have five loaves and two fish. And then there's what I call a figure it out moment. There's a figure it out moment. Why? Because every miracle needs a method. Every miracle needs a method. And often that's the part of miracle working that people don't realize. That every miracle needs a method. Any number of methods might do. What, what was Jesus' method for healing people in the Gospels? Well, I mean, sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he spoke his command. Sometimes he rubbed mud in their face. Sometimes he prophesied over them from a distance. They weren't even present. Sometimes, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, he just pulled her out of bed and said, fix us lunch. And she got healed of her virus. That might come in useful. Um, right, so all sorts of different methods. But, but there needs to be a method and so when you're a miracle worker, there's typically a figure-it-out moment. And this is Jesus' figure-it-out moment. Okay, so we have something. What do I want to do with it? Well, I'm going to break it up and be thankful. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know exactly what the inspiration was, but that was the method the guy went with. And then he handed it out to the guys, and they handed it out to the people. This is the coolest miracle in Scripture. Right? Because I, I know there are resurrections and healings and, you know, withered arms growing and blind eyes opening and stuff like that. Very, very significant. But this is the coolest miracle in Scripture because at what point does the miracle happen? You know, like he's giving people, he's giving his guys 12 pieces of this bread and they must have been little pieces. Or when he handed them, did they suddenly become giant pieces? Like, did it happen then? And they turn around and they give, you know, each person a piece. Is that when the miracle happens? Is that when the, the food grows and multiplies? Or did they have like little bags and every time they reached in, there was still more and they didn't want to look in to see if it was running out? It's like, I don't know exactly how it happened, but, you know, have, have you ever had an experience like that? Uh, where it's like, you think you're in a miraculous season and you're not really sure where the miracle's happening. You're just pretty sure something's going down with God. You ever had a season like that? Well, this is, this is it in a, a nutshell. And so I think, I, I wish I were there just to kind of watch it, you know, and kind of watch the faces on the disciples as it unfolded. It's like, what the heck? No, I'm sorry, I don't have any Tabasco. Oh, here you go. You know, son of a gun, look at that. I don't know, but it, I would have just loved to have been there, part of that, and just follow those guys around. And what was the crowd thinking? Did they even know what was coming? It's like, oh man, great bread. Um, every miracle needs a method. And Jesus just went with what he could figure out based on the something that he had. Would have been a cool miracle uh, to, to experience. Um, and then at the end, of course, the servants got their portion from their service. 
you know, the significant part of the story, that when all is said and done, the leftovers are more than the original meal. And the disciples are each able to carry away a big basket. And they're like, wow, not only do I have enough for me, but I'm looking for more people to share with now, you know. Um, there's something about that that really typifies church life for me. You know, at the beginning of a church plant, we started this church about a decade ago. They're just, you know, a small group of friends. And we're kind of worried about how we're going to take care of each other. And then we started, like, just giving away. You know, that's what ministry is, right? Ministry is just giving away. And ever since then, we've been trying to gather in more people to take care of. Which is insane, right? But it's the nature of church, right? It's kind of what we do. And, and this is that, uh, in a nutshell, a very potent story, symbolically, in uh, a lot of, of regards. Uh, if the disciples had been left to their own devices when the meeting, you know, at the end of the meeting, as night fell, they too would have had to have gone to the villages and tried to hunt up some food for themselves. But because they chose to serve the crowd instead, they end up providing for themselves along the way. The provision is in the service. The provision is in the midst of the ministry. Um, ministry is life-giving. It is not life-killing. In the kingdom of God, sacrificing yourself for someone actually builds yourself up. Another paradox, but another principle of heaven. You get provision as you go. You get provision on the journey, not before, on the journey. You get provision, and that is a potent kingdom principle that will probably serve you well for the rest of your life. So you have enough to care for people. You guys, you have enough to care. You know, those times you say, I just can't do that right now. That's a lie in 100% of the instances in which you say it. That doesn't mean you should do it right now, right? Because there's always wisdom and discernment that's part of any process. But you can. You can. Because in the kingdom of heaven, whatever you have is always enough. So lack, scarcity, should never be the guiding principle in any decision that you make in life. Not with Jesus. Right? And that's what this story teaches us. It doesn't mean that the answer is always yes, go, charge. But it could be. And what you need to do is simply to be led by the Spirit. That's, that's the navigating principle. The rest of the world navigates according to scarcity. We navigate according to the direction of the Holy Spirit, and that's an entirely different thing. Uh, and that's a powerful lesson from this story. If I only had enough time, if I only had enough money, if I only had enough talent, well, you don't, but you do. Welcome to heaven. Welcome to the order of heaven on earth. Whatever you have is, is always enough. Through the principle of multiplication, the question is, how can you turn what you have into what is necessary? How can you turn what you have into what is needed? That's the question. And every miracle needs a method. You'll have to come up with one. It could be that any method is as good as any other in your situation. I'm not really sure. 
but you'll need to figure it out moment, and that moment will feel like, well, okay, how, how should I proceed? Uh, I got a plate lunch. Uh, I could pray. Uh, well, I'll go knock on the door and see if anybody answers. You know, every miracle needs a method. There's going to be a figure it out moment. But that's a separate issue. <laughs> You'll find enough along the way as you go. That's how miracles work. Step out onto the water. Then it will hold you. <laughs> Until then, it's water, man. Every miracle need, needs a method. So what are some principles to help going forward? We'll end the sermon with just a few tips, things that I gleaned from the story. Um, uh, all these points that we have made along the way, but if you're keeping notes in your bulletin with the corner missing, um, maybe you want to write these things down. <clears throat> Finding the method for your miracle. Number one, you don't have nothing. You don't have nothing. Which means, if you're following the double negative, you have something. You have something. Is what you have enough? That's not really the important question, is it? <laughs> the question is, what do you do with what you have? Because enough comes as you go. So you have something. Do not pretend that you don't. That is a lie. It is a satanic lie. It is, in fact, the spirit of the world. There is not enough. The world tells you that every morning. To which the spirit within you answers, big deal. <laughs> not really the issue. Charge. Um, so you have, you have something. Uh, how can you use it? That's the question. How can I use what I got? There's going to be a moment of figuring out that precedes the moment of miracle. Why? Well, we've talked about this half a dozen times already in this sermon series. Because God partners with us to get things done in the world. Right? So there's always going to be something, some, some role for you to play as well. Um, God could just drop manna from heaven. Even then you're going to have to gather it up and gather twice as much on the sixth day. Um, sometimes, though, you're just going to be thankful for what you have, pass it around, and be amazed at the multiplication that happens. Number two, follow your good heart. Don't follow your broken heart. Follow your good heart. You guys got a good heart? Yeah? Y'all got that bad heart, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, follow your good heart. Things like compassion and sacrificial love and service, those are pretty decent guides in life. You can trust those guides. Yeah, they're part of your good heart. Compassion, pretty decent North Star for us. You know, faith, expectation, optimism, decent North Stars for us. Really good navigating principles. The virtue of compassion, the virtue of love, the virtue of faith don't necessarily answer every question, right? You need the virtue of wisdom for, for that but they're pretty good navigating principles and you should trust them. You should trust them. 
and not believe the worldly lie that tells you that compassion and self-sacrificial love is not safe. That's a lie. That's a lie. And Jesus, in this story, I think, goes out of his way to underscore what a lie, stuff like that is. So uh, I would recommend that you be a tender-hearted person, which will, one, get you into more situations in which you need a miracle, uh, and two, accordingly, will provide you with some good miracles. If you want to see more miracles in your life, obviously, put yourself into situations in which you need them. And Jesus intentionally puts his guys into a situation in which they would need a rather unique miracle. Like they were probably used to healing sick people. They were probably not used to multiplying a lunch. Uh, But God's always pushing our frontiers, isn't he? Uh, So follow your good heart. You will end up in some interesting situations. In those situations, don't get desperate, get thankful, and find a method for your miracle. Uh, And number three, we'll end here. Ministry is life-giving. Ministry is life-giving. Your provision will come in the course of your service. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. Ministry is life-giving. It is not life-destroying. It is not life-minimizing. Oh, ministry is work. Don't misunderstand me. It's just the sort of work that fills you and feeds you. And I see this all the time. I see wonderful, passionate Christians getting burned out, falling away because they've leapt into ministry and then along the way they decide that it's actually not giving them life, that it's robbing them of life. Now ministry is hard and you need to respect things like, oh, I don't know, the Sabbath, you know, and, and, and partnership and fellowship and and you have, to, you have to do ministry work with humility and vulnerability and all those sort of things that keep you, know, keep you rested and, and, and nourished and accountable and you know, all of that stuff. There needs to be a certain wisdom with how we do ministry work. But Satan is always trying to worm in this lie that, oh, well, you got involved and God just left you out to hang, man. That's how it is with God. You know, these people expect too much of you. You know, they're not coming through for you. They're just, and you start to kind of believe that you got into ministry to provide life for other people when in fact you got into ministry to find provision for yourself. And Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples understood that they got into ministry because that's the way that they feed themselves. That's the way that they nourish their own souls. If you're involved with ministry, with service, you're in it for you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you're the hero for everyone else. When you start to drift that way, and there's always a temptation to go that way, death begins. Right? Death begins. I do ministry for a living. I am a pro. I'm a pro. You might think that I'm not very good at it, but I get a paycheck. I'm a pro. That's how these things work. That's the definition. Um, And, you know, I fight this battle all the time. I sort of naturally incline toward the negative and pessimistic in life anyway. And um, I wake up in the morning and almost immediately go through a battle, even before... Um, you know, before I get out of bed, which is, well, you know, they're taking it from you, <laughs> or, you know, some lie like that. 
You know, I don't wake up in the morning and think, man, the more I love, the more provision I'll get. Nevertheless, my life is a testimony to the fact that the more you love, the more you sacrifice, the more you live on faith, the more things open to you and the farther that you can go. I can't explain to you how I got here in life. There's no rational explanation for it. I had other plans, you know. I've had those seasons of life where I did not know where the money was going to come from at the end of the month to pay the bills. I've been there a whole bunch of times. And what I've done is just, well, let's, let's do the next thing. You know, let's try to make the most of what we do have. Let, let's try to live in such a way that honors Jesus. And I've never been over-provided for. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it's worked out. You know, somehow it's worked out. And I have to remind myself of that every once in a while. I'm like, dang it, I'm almost 53 years old. I'm still standing. How the heck did that happen? You know, um, I got car to drive. I've got friends who give me lay and seem to like me. It's not, it's not what I expected. You guys know what my personality is like. Um, anyway, just to say, I think I'm a testimony that the kingdom life works. And I still fight that stupid battle the first moment of every day I wake up. You know? Still. So don't be surprised when you have to wrestle with the lie. Don't be surprised by that. That's just the way it works. What you do is just want to get really good at throwing the punch and then moving on. Right? You're going to have to fight the battle. Just get through it quickly and move on. Uh, and and um, encourage yourself and joy and strength. Do you feel me? Yes. Do you get my meaning? Yes. Let's review. Every miracle... Every miracle needs a method. In the kingdom of God, whatever you have, guys are smarter than you look.